Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. You know that moment when you like start leading the church announcements and your brain for a second goes, I could do something funny here. This is my time to shine. And then what comes out of your mouth is, good morning, church. Yeah, but do you, do, you, do you have the same intrusive thought every time? Yeah. No. Because every time I tried to do announcements, that happened to me every time. Good morning. And I church. don't know if that's universal or not. That is literally every Sunday how I get up at every Sunday. I say, Good morning, <laughs> church. Just like that. Every single time. You can yeah. go back and watch. It's true. Yeah, but mine was always overshadowed by uh, I could make this funny. And then all. And then I came up with nothing. Your dumb, creative oh. brain could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> dummy no i'm sorry josh that was mean well speaking of creativity uh not a great segue what are you guys drinking <laughs> whoa all right well i'm two fisting it tonight hell yeah i am keeping on the train of the citra ipa from jeremiah johnson but i'm gonna be probably chasing that with a hibiscus Lacroix. ah room temp thank you because i've become a simp you're that for you're that person room temp Lacroix now Emily, what are you drinking? My heart, my heart aches. Um, I'm wow. drinking a mock madra, just no vodka, but it's basically orange juice and cranberry juice. What's a madra? I just said it. It's orange juice, cranberry <laughs> juice, and vodka, vodka. Yeah. but I don't God. have vodka. She listed all three ingredients. I totally blanked when you said that. <laughs> she said the three ingredients in the <laughs> in the preface. It's Josh. like it's like somebody saying the Trinity, but then being like, "But who is the Holy Spirit?" Like, who? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, I yeah, Josh. What are I you have drinking? a oh yeah, thank you. I forgot about that. I I am drinking. Yeah, you gotta say. I am drinking a Topo Chico with lemon juice, and then I'm also drinking a cup of coffee. Whoa, too close to bed. No, well, I know I knew you would say that, but this is a decaf, <laughs> oh. and what's fun about it is it's by this uh it's a counterculture coffee they're they're pretty well known from north carolina um but it's put out this particular version is put out by this company called steeped coffee that makes these like tea bag coffee packets interesting oh, so, like cool. i currently have a tea bag of coffee that's steeping and uh it works pretty it works wonderfully it's great cool. it's a great invention i love and it's that. great for decaf when you know you're not going to drink it I still think it's too close for bed. I just finished, I'm going to be the insufferable guys. Like I just finished reading why we sleep by Matthew Walker and, uh, even the trace amounts of caffeine that come in decaf too close to bed. My friend, you're going to ruin your night. Of sleep, I, I bet. actually, I will, I will scientifically dispute you on that for a moment. I read a paper a couple years ago, like a science paper, not just like a, whatever, a fake paper 
and it was it was a meta-analysis oh about God. caffeine studies and the findings are pretty conclusive that it is not caffeine that keeps you up when you drink decaf if you are sensitive to like drinking decaf it is most likely the other stimulants in coffee because there are other stimulants and decaf only takes out caffeine Okay. Yeah, fun fact. So yes, you can be super sensitive to decaf, but it is not wow. the caffeine. We just went on the smackdown, the two of us. That was fun. Yeah. Just that flexing was. our nerd. This is what I read about it. I feel like I should have <laughs> popped a bag of popcorn and just sat back. Like that was entertaining. Yeah, right. We should have done our impression voices that we did on our previous episode, but I'm glad we did not. Nope. Yeah, Same. you gotta keep it to the Same. end. Those guys don't um, debate. They just kind of I'm not gonna say what I was thinking. They just kind of they just kind of word vomit. And they're good at it. Um, well, speaking of which, uh, we have a, a voicemail from one of our listeners. And Stephen, yeah, take it away. Here we go. Hello. Hmm. Well, it, that appears to be it. <laughs> Hello. Wait. Hi. 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 I guess. What are What are our thoughts that, on this? That was a voicemail. <laughs> Fourteen seconds of. That's so funny. Hello. <laughs> that must have been a wrong number, right? Like we have to assume. I'm hoping. <laughs> That's really funny. Have we tried calling them back? That's really funny. Uh, no, I haven't yet. Oh, you should. I could no? try. That's um. You should. And then just leave them a hello. <laughs> Do we have any other topic submit? Because that's what we're doing this week, right? Yes. Like yeah, we do have another topic submission. And actually, before our topic submission, I would like to propose a riddle. <gasps> I love riddles. Interesting. Uh, this is the first time I'm ever telling this riddle. How do Australian Christians sing Amazing Grace? Is this a riddle or a joke? Well, I'd take it either way. Um. Okay. Um. I don't know, Josh. How do they sing Amazing Grace? <laughs> this is this is not me joke. going through all the lyrics trying to figure out where they say the word no instead of and then nar instead. <laughs> nar, nar. That was my cavernous silence. I was trying to figure well, that out. Well, my, my punchline was going to be r nar r nar r nar because I just realized the other day that the cadence works perfectly. That's the only reason I thought of it. I guess. Uh, sure. But on the topic of code switching, this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is a oh topic suggestion from our dear friend and beloved patron Adam oh, and Adam. his message comes to us via email so <laughs> I shall be reading this one Adam says I know our dear hosts have talked about this a bit especially Stephen and Josh but I would be interested in hearing an episode about something I think of as quote unquote spiritual code switching it's when you have different beliefs than old friends and family members but you subtly change your terminology just enough so that you can fit in better with the conversation and not make things awkward. The common definition, quote, code switching is the ways in which a member of an underrepresented group consciously or unconsciously adjusts their language, syntax, grammatical structure, behavior, and appearance to fit into the dominant culture. For me, Adam, yes, this is a personal topic. It happens when I talk to my parents and preacher brothers about anything involving church stuff. We all acknowledge that I'm politically liberal and spiritually not a Pentecostal, but I still feel like I need to speak their language so I don't rock the boat during family get-togethers. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
I would like to acknowledge that I think that this is a very personal question. And I think that this, for me, certainly hits home. And as much as I would love to talk about me, I really wouldn't love to talk about me <laughs> right now. So I would love to hear from both of you first, mm-hmm. like if and where mm. you see this in yourself or in others. I think I felt it a lot more around political thinking than I ever did theological thinking. I think a lot of mine was more or less abstaining for the conversations that I didn't feel like we're out to dinner, right? We're just in try trying to enjoy a burger. I don't feel the need to get into this right now. And like if a conversation arises later or like if I feel like I really need to be like confrontational about something like a family member says, usually like I'll try to tackle that head on. I guess most recently like in the theological right as I kind of did our episode called I'm an atheist now AMA like it kind of loomed over me for a number of weeks before that episode came out. I was like, I should call my mom and tell her that mm-hmm. news before she hears it. Cause she listens to the podcast. Shout out to Dory. Uh, I was like, I should tell her before she learns it from the podcast that I made about mm-hmm. it. Right. And that was mm-hmm. the, it, mm-hmm. it was kind of like an artificial, like I, I hate to draw the equivalence because I am not sure this was nearly as hard as say like, LGBTQ friends have had it of like, I felt like I had to like come out to my family as an atheist and I didn't really dance a lot of like, I didn't dance a lot of lines or like spent a lot of time like code switching leading up to that moment. Basically I was like, Hey, we should have a conversation and you should know it's in regards to where my faith is at. And then we had the conversation and my family is very cool and supportive and affirming and no one's like, crying themselves to sleep thinking that I'm going to hell now. So Mm. I I feel extremely grateful and like lucky to be in that position. Like I think our family has that kind of trust, but I think over the last few years as I've really departed some more like conservative angles of my political upbringing, maybe I could switch a little bit more in those arenas right now. What about you, Emily? What are your initial thoughts? I would say me myself, I don't experience that. And I'm grateful for that. But I have definitely been a part of communities and have witnessed that happening where, especially like at camp, Mm. I will have campers who they love camp so much and then they want to be counselors. And they usually often do, but they have like a shift of belief, but they still feel like they need to say certain things in order to fit in or to stay relevant, to feel accepted. And so I have done as much as I can outside of camp to tell those people, you can come to camp with your beliefs. Don't feel like you need to say a certain thing just because I'm there or, you know, it's church camp. So you have to say a certain thing. This is where we explore our faith. Like we want our campers to do the same thing. Don't harm yourself in the process, you know, and kind of it it just makes me sad that that that's a reality that people face that they need to say certain things for fear of rocking the boat you know and it's it's sad i'm so sorry that that is happening i think rocking the boat i know that's the term he used but i i really do think like at a certain point there is a tension between like living authenticity at a hundred percent and knowing that that could sacrifice a sense of belonging that you've come to be accustomed to 
Mm. Especially with family. Yeah, that's that's a really tough tension to manage, I think. Steven, I like that you brought up that like for sometimes this kind of like conscious behavior would manifest more in like choosing to not talk about certain things. Mm-hmm. I think that I feel that quite a bit as well. Like there's definitely like theological topics that I for lack of a better word to like keep the peace, I just won't talk about with certain people. Mm-hmm. And as much as I do think that like so like I obviously think that everything we talk about is important to talk about. Otherwise we wouldn't be doing this. But like I think that it is an individual's right to choose what they do and do not talk about with people, like in regards to what boundaries they put up or like what they think is right for their health and their well being as a person. And I also think it's worth mentioning that code switching is not inherently moral. It's not either good or bad. It is a linguistic phenomenon that has more been talked about in terms of like people of color existing in white dominant spaces, but I think has like become more of a a zeitgeist term to apply to any instance where you start to use more like dominant language in a space that you might not actually identify with personally. I'm reading this book right now called Cultish by Amanda Montel. I believe I'm getting her name right. And it's a really, really great book. Uh, If you liked the episodes we've done on cults before, she is just as, if not a lot more informed than I am even. And I feel like I've been learning about cults for years. And it's really interesting to me because she's clearly like sociologically informed. Like she has done her research. She has interviewed many different people in this space, but she's coming from a linguistics background. So like the whole book is about the language of fanaticism. And she does get into like some of the difficulty in studying cults and like what we even call them and like a lot of the stigma that happens. And a lot of that is like in language. And that's like really meta and interesting. But one of the things that she highlights really early on is that groups use language strategically. And it's not in and of itself, it's not morally bad or good to use language in your group. Like every group has coded language and jargon. Like the coffee community, great example. (laughs) People love to know coffee jargon. Like it's the back of their hand and they're really proud of it. And the same thing happens in religious spaces. And we often use language to create us versus them groups either intentionally or not intentionally. Like it, It's just a byproduct of you seeing like jargonified language. And personally, I think when it comes to spiritual code switching, because I think that's a great term for it, I think that it's really... <laughs> this is going to sound like a cop-out, but it's really nuanced, I think. Like you like have a different relationship to everybody and everybody is on their own spiritual journey and i think it's okay to like use different language around different people depending mm-hmm. on like what how you want to relate to them and i that i feel like taken out of context that could sound really manipulative but like i'm trying to like think of a way that like says that better than the way it's coming out of my mouth right now well mm. no i think the way you're saying it is is exactly what needs to be said it's what it comes down to is the intention like if you're using yeah specific language for the intention of maintaining safety or i don't want to say controlled dialogue but like just having safe conversation or like to create an in- welcoming and inviting space so be it but if your intention is to lessen people or to harm people then that's a no-no um so i think josh what you're speaking to is 
exactly what should be said. Also, I think that it's very, very possible to do this kind of like, uh, like a language audit of yourself almost. Like that sounds really Scientology. So let me explain that. <laughs> um, like I like coffee is a great example because in the coffee world there was this like huge push. I'd say like ten or so years ago when like the craft coffee shops first started opening up, everybody started to be really pretentious about their language because like mm. you knew more than the customers and like you had the education and it was it felt very elitist. And there's currently a pushback against that, I'd say, in the larger coffee community against like, no, that's like pushing people away. We want to welcome people. We can educate them. But like, we shouldn't let language get in the way of people like enjoying coffee the way they want to enjoy it. And it's really interesting to see like this kind of like non-religious version of that. And I would argue that the same can be done in Christianity. Like, personal example... And I don't mean to make fun of anybody with this, but it always gave me the spiritual ick whenever I heard someone say, like, yeah, I've just been really talking to the Lord lately. Mm. Like, I don't I can't even explain to you like what it is, but I've I've never liked the phrase the Lord. Mm. Like it always felt like I don't even I don't even know what to say. I like I can just say that like it always made me feel uncomfortable, mm. even when I was like actively going to church. And I think it's okay to admit that language is inherently performative. Like Montel gets at this in the book that like you are always socially performing language and oftentimes it is language that forms a community. And I think that's perfectly okay to admit, but I think that you can also like de-jargonify like whatever form of religiosity you're hanging on to. And by not jargonifying your spirituality, you are inherently making it a more welcoming space, hmm. regardless of where somebody else is at. That's kind of a lot of words. I used a lot of big words for <laughs> preaching against jargon. Talk like a normal person about it. <laughs> yeah. Normal people should do theology. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I tell my church regularly, we are all theologians in our own right. And I, I still believe I get people who will come to classes and they're like, I don't get this. I don't have the same language or repertoire as you. And I'm like, well, of course, because I went to seminary, but you are still equipped and enough to have this conversation with me. Like, I don't ever want people to feel small because I have an MDiv. You know, it's it's like theology for dummies, but I mean that nicely. You know, it 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 can happen. We can all be on the same page and be seen as equals. Also, all words are made up. Like, I think that it's so easy to forget that. But like, regardless of whether or not it's theology or psychology or like anything, like, I think a lot of people like find comfort in labels, whether that's like about them personally or about something else. Like, I think that that is a huge reason why there's this like cultural temptation to like label something a cult or not a cult. And it's because like our brains love labels. Like we love certainty. and. I think that's natural. Language is weird. I, I agree. I like I, I really feel the tension of like code switching around certain people. And I think that there's this fear of feeling disingenuous, like almost like two-faced. And I don't think it's as simple as that. Hmm. But I also like don't know if I can explain why I don't think that. Hmm. I feel like I guess with kind of the way you latched onto what I said, Josh, about like my version of it is more just, you know, these friends, we don't talk about this kind of stuff. You know, we abstain from those conversations or we don't talk about 
Montana politics or federal politics or whatever, like with this group or whatever. I feel like for me, the reason I don't feel two-faced about it is because I still feel like there's enough of myself that we can (laughs) agree on or like, you know, like I'm not changing myself. I'm just shifting a different angle of myself into the focus or into the pilot's chair in a way, you know, D and D friends. I know how to nerd out about D and D theology friends. I know how to do that too. Uh, metal music friends. I know how to do that too. And it's not disingenuous that I don't talk about metal music with my D and D friends because they just are not interested in the kind of music I listen to. Right. That's how that's striking me is like the two facedness of it, I think is easy to inflict a bit of like self guilt just by the fact that you're not, I don't know. I th- I think you could, you could feel that you're not being authentic with everyone. If you're not bringing 100% of all of that to everyone all of the time, but I don't think that's necessarily the case, or maybe I'm just hearing you wrong, but that's how that strikes me. It did get me thinking of too something over this weekend because to bring it into this realm of social media, right? I tweeted something. You tweeted something? And then I was like, is this the tweet that I think you're going to bring up? And then I was like, should I post a screenshot of this on Instagram? <laughs> I'm not sure I should because the people. No, we all know Instagram friends are different from Twitter the people, friends. We know that. That's the people so who true. follow me on Instagram are so different than the people that follow me on Twitter. And I like, I actually put it in our Discord, on the Ravel Discord. And I was like, should I? I'm feeling feisty, I guess. Because the tweet, Emily. Oh, wait. I did post it on Instagram, so you may have seen it. <laughs> you, you did. Yes, I saw. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, if wait, this Wait, what is, was it? Because I, I didn't see it on Instagram. If, I only follow you on Twitter. If this is how you act on Jesus, I'd hate to see you after you've sobered up. Hey. Um, <laughs> which has a lot to say. There's a lot of laced feelings inside that. But posting that on Instagram elicited a very different response <laughs> than so it funny. did on Twitter. What was the, like, if you were to characterize, like, you don't have to go super in depth, but characterize the difference, you know, like your Twitter audience versus your Instagram audience. Uh, Instagram audience was, wow, you, you've been having some big feelings, huh? Or like, I'm uh, kind of <laughs> disappointed because I feel like this is directed oh. at me or something like oh. that. And I was like, project much? Well, that's kind of my whole thing lately is projection and the way we do that to what we call God and the way that mirrors back to us the best or worst parts of our own selves. But and I would argue that's not a bad thing, but that's another conversation. Correct. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. But Instagram has a different vibe than Twitter. We code switch between social media environments. I think that's a great example because I think that like considering your audience is such a poignant example for because we just all live in a digital landscape and like it's like a totally like he who has ears to hear let him hear and like even just by like using that phrase i like invoke so much like cultural meaning for somebody like Mm -hmm. just by using a phrase like that to communicate and just like reiterate what i'm saying about audience (laughs) you know like (laughs) it's like yeah right i but i really do feel that if you feel like in your judgment that a conversation is not going to go the way you want it to go, you don't have to put that out there. Like my favorite thing that happens on the internet is when leopards eat people's faces. 
You know that you know that reference? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's, like, it's, <laughs> it's a subreddit and it usually refers to when people are like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened to me. Like my favorite is when people com- like make really hot opinions on the internet on any platform and then later complain that people don't like their opinions and that people and they should get clapped talk back. To them. Yeah. And I'm ah. like, you asked for that. Yeah. Right. Like, yes, there's like a whole there's there's a whole thing conversation we could have about like consent and social media engagement but like sometimes people are asking for it (laughs) like i don't know but like i think that that's real too like the the whole audience thing i i really do think that's a good example yeah Mm -hmm. it it's kind of like what's that meme i i know it's an snl sketch but the guy who like turns back and shoots the guy on the pile of trash oh yeah and then (laughs) i can't believe they've done this Oh no, that's uh, that's uh, that's the Andre show. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 there you go. <laughs> and he falls back in the chair. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good meme, isn't it? Though it's so good, so applicable. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, Don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. So what are like areas of conversation that you avoid with certain people? Like, are there points of discussion in your families mm. that you don't talk about? Well, jokes on Steven, his parents listen to this podcast. So um, I guess I'll go first. Tread lightly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Just I would kidding, say my very, my very broad answer is that I think that like probably everything at some point or another Oh, okay. I was like, do you just not talk to your family? (laughs) Well, no, I I, well, I felt like your question was like more broad at first, but like, yes, I would, I would say that like, depending on the topic and depending on the person, I don't feel the pressure to talk about everything with everybody. You don't, do you not feel the pressure? I don't want to imply that you're oblivious, that there is pressure and you just don't feel it. (laughs) (laughs) But also you, my Enneagram nine friend. Do you think that's a possibility? Oh yeah, Ooh. I absolutely think. Like, yes. Do you mm-hmm. think? Do you think you often walk into rooms where there is very much an elephant in the room, and just no one's gonna bring it up? Uh, yeah, probably. And honestly, I'm probably not aware of most of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that's the and best I'm answer. like, <laughs> <laughs> and like, uh, uh, ignorance is bliss, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, I didn't even know you were upset. I think, Sorry. okay, okay, this is going to be a very roundabout way of answering, but I think this will make sense. I think that 
I, for the longest time, I felt the need to justify... Well, we, we have talked about this before. Uh, I felt the need to justify every belief I had. And I felt that that was not just like my duty to know why I believe, not just like how I came to an opinion, but like like defending it against someone with the opposite opinion, mm-hmm. like very apologetic style. Totally. That was absolutely taught to me in a theological t- context. And like, just like our politics episode, of course, that bleeds into other things. And I think that as a part of my unraveling, I think that I have progressively strayed away from feeling the need to be ready to have a defense. And like, I am certainly mm. open to like talking openly about what I believe if someone is genuinely curious. But I think that just as there is like a hard evangelical attitude in the sense of like, you must evangelize, I think the pendulum swings both ways. And I, I don't think it's wrong to have a passion for swaying people. And I, I think that that is also, I think that that can be a valiant effort to like mm. reach people. And I think that subtlety and slow long-term conversations can go a longer way. Well, and I would argue that if you have an aim to explicitly go out and sway, that you're not participating in a defense of your faith, you're participating in an offense. Ooh. In the in the sense of like, you know, you could consider a defense of a city to be a castle wall, for instance. The wall isn't mm. going anywhere. Yeah. It's just going to be there. And if someone else comes running an offensive, then you can rest with a sense of security of like, no, I'm good in here, actually. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to of like, there's a sense of security, I guess. Like I, we don't feel like we need to constantly be going out. Whereas if you didn't have the wall, your best defense, as they say, would be a good offense of like going out and securing, securing the perimeters with soldiers and spears or guns or whatever to continue the analogy right like that defense becomes the offense and i think that's where a lot of people get like wrapped up in apologetics of like what are you defending against no one's attacking calm down mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying well yeah no i i really like that the whole offense thing that's good what do you think about that emily i mean i want to i want to hear from you i think that's a, a good analogy especially when you think about how defenses over time do fail Mm, like they mm-hmm. they need to be ma- they need to be maintained right so it's not enough just to have the wall it's have the wall but make sure the wall is up to code if you start to notice that there are holes in the wall or they can be breached underneath right then what are you doing to put more defenses in place so it's yeah it's really about safeguarding yourself and knowing what makes you vulnerable? Like if people know a weak spot in your defense and they can go for that, then why have the wall up? You know what I mean? The thing that Steven mm. made me think of, I think that's a great point. Um, I like the way you took that analogy and ran with it. Uh, Steven just made me think of like, we, ju- we know that like some of the classic hallmarks of evangelism, like street evangelism and like hardcore apologetics. Mm-hmm. We, like, I feel like we know at this point that they don't work mm-hmm. or that like they fall short at a certain point. Like, I feel like some people could say that apologetics like made them a Christian, 
But like even your big name apologists will admit that like, well, yeah, but apologetics isn't enough. Like at some point you just have to have faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also apologetics is more for the people who are already convinced who need bolstered yes. rather than the people who need changed. Which right, I think right. the intelligent apologists also admit. And like, I don't think it's smart for us to like adopt those tactics that like we're trying to divest ourselves from in an effort to like change others' opinions. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I like that. Like, if we don't like the street preachers, we shouldn't be street preachers. Right. Like, regardless of what we believe. Because that didn't work when you tried it in Seattle. No. (laughs) As fun as it was. (laughs) (laughs) But you never know. Maybe I planted a seed. (laughs) See, and again, it comes back to intention. Like, what is the point of it? Mm -hmm. What what is your objective? I almost feel in this like universalist sense of uh what's that one verse is it in galatians where paul says like god hopes that all will be saved i don't remember where that's from it's one of those steven you should know that sorry you were a universalist once i was well i guess you still are in a way right but like i feel like i have that that hope but also i i don't know for myself if i've found the right balance or not in terms of what should i talk to people about what should i not talk to people about Mm. in relation to what i think they believe and what i think they're open to and like maybe maybe my mind will also keep changing on that as my beliefs also keep changing yeah that's a hard balance to strike because to a degree there's like a there's a sense of almost responsibility of like i know how i see things from here but i also relate to where you are now and like i can't get you to go zero to 60 instantaneously like can I show you the stepping stones that I use to get there? And if they don't, if, you know, if those aren't compelling to you, maybe something else will be, you know. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't uh, make a drink. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's why, so like, in a way, I feel very secure on this podcast, like in this project, because A, I don't feel like I'm defending anyone. And also I don't feel, or like, I, I don't feel like I'm defending myself Cause in a way this is kind of like vulnerable work, right? Like, uh, it struck me a couple weeks ago that I was being like really vulnerable with like my history of being bullied and my issues with like body image that I'm starting therapy for and all those kind of things. Like this is vulnerable work. So I don't necessarily feel like I'm making defense, a defense of what I think. And also I'm not trying to be offensive with it. Like people have to come to the podcast to hear it. Right. It's not like we're, I mean, like we have social media and stuff and we're like marketing or whatever, but it's not like I'm, I don't have the option of downloading to everyone's iPod, the latest U2 album that one time. That's hilarious. You know what I mean? Like we can't do that with Ravel. So I don't feel like I have to tailor the message such that like you didn't ask for this, but will you please listen? Like, yeah, even something like this is an extremely consensual, like, Hey, I'm just putting this out there. If you want to listen please do. Thank you. I actually, I I think that that is a good point as well. I do think that there is something to be said for consent and what you talk about with people. Like, I think that there is a, to be fair, this Christians are not the only ones guilty of this in this current culture, but I think that there is a tendency (laughs) in modern Christianity, especially in like Bible study settings that anything is fair game to talk about and we should talk about anything Mm. and we should be able to be like completely open and vulnerable Mm with complete strangers and like to that i kind of want to say like time and place right like you can create those safe environments yeah but not every environment that like invites you to do that is the place to do that right 
Like for example, Ooh. great example, Alcoholics Anonymous arguably makes a great safe space to share those vulnerable stories and create like lasting community in a way that doesn't have a hierarchical hierarchical structure that a leader will take advantage of potentially mm-hmm. either monetarily or otherwise not to say that abuse doesn't happen but like i think that that is a great classic example of like literally creating a space where you can safely become vulnerable yeah cuz i was going to say a lot of pastors should get that message because a lot of the times when an environment of like no you can be honest with me or you can be vulnerable like unknowing or not that can open up a lot of paths to stuff like grooming Mm-hmm. and other abuse if you're not careful about that well and then on the flip side like if you want to vulnerably share your opinion about something and why you think somebody is wrong the person you're talking to might not be open to that and i think that in the same way that it was easy to be overstepped in some circles i think it is also easy whoa. to overstep whoa yeah. you wait know what I hold mean? on do you think that line was blurred when the Catholic confession became the thing where you sat in the booth and like, bless me, father, for I have sinned. And you confess to a person as if it was God himself you were confessing to. I mean, in a way, because like an the, accidental power dynamic. Well, because like the priest is the mouthpiece of God. Yes. Yes, exactly. But like, did the did the priest ever ask for that? Like. In terms of consent, like the listener needs to give consent too. like Emily, I'm sure there are conversations that some parishioners could have with you and you hit a wall of like, no, 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 actually, I don't want to hear that. That's not for me. That's for your therapist oh, or that's for your psychologist, you know, like definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But it's a, again, it's a power thing. It's not every pastor does that. But do you think the pastors also feel almost pressured into being able to hear anything and everything because of the way we put them on the pedestal of being the earpiece and the mouthpiece of God? Yes. <sighs> I would and say that happens in therapy too, but yes. I want to hear what Emily has to say. Oh no, definitely. Sorry. It's, we have a title when there is a title to our name, you know, my husband is a therapist and people think I'm a therapist. I can come to you with anything and Even my husband will set boundaries and say, you know what? These are maybe things that you should be talking with your spouse or like you should maybe think about it before addressing it with me. You know, this isn't this maybe not the time or the place. Right. And I may not be the ears that you want to hear this. Like you may want time for yourself to process before you share with someone else. You know, like there are ways Mm. that you can set boundaries in that. With me, it's like, oh, my God, you're my pastor. Therefore, you must be my spiritual counselor, too. And therefore, I can dump everything on you. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Like, yes, I can I can provide pastoral care and counseling, but I am not a therapist. I am not a counselor. I am limited in my scope. Honor that. (laughs) Well, to your point about Alex, like, even though he is a therapist, like someone brought up a great point the other day that like some therapists who exist in a social media space, some of them are explicitly open to like providing anecdotal casual support to people like in the DMS or in the comments. And then other people are very closed off about that. They're like, Mm -hmm. no work-life balance. If you're not my client, please do not DM me at all. Yeah. And one of our podcast friends over on the Instagram sphere, unfortunately the other day she was posting some stories about like, please stop DMing me your traumatic religious experiences. 
She was like, mm. I talk about that here and I talk about that on Instagram, but this is not the place for you to share it. Mm. And I've said that repeatedly. Yeah. yeah. And that was, I felt like that was a very like firm thing. And unfortunately that she had to be that firm. But like, also, I think that that's a very loving thing to like tell people like, I can't listen to this right now. Like, I can't talk about this right now. Yeah. I think that's a perfectly valid excuse. Like, you don't, you don't have to talk about everything to everybody just because they want to talk about it. Yeah. But there's also like graceful ways to shut things down. I don't yeah. know. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> like, I mean, like Emily on this podcast has said like, I'm not your pastor. Like, unless you come to Cody United Methodist Church, I'm not your pastor. So like seek that out wherever you will i'm also i'm reminded of the anecdotes of like people when they find out like uh oh you're a doctor can you look at this mole and (laughs) and they just like pull up a shirt and be like what's up with that it's like dude i'm not even i'm not at work or like i'm not that kind of doctor yeah right I'm a gynecologist. <laughs> Is there a doctor on the plane? Uh, I have a doctorate in Lacanian philosophy. Right. So, I'm, yes. I'm a dentist. <laughs> I'm a podiatrist. Get paid for your passions. No, I think that that is a that is a very good analogy because that's that it speaks a lot to time and place, doesn't it? Time of and like, place. Mm-hmm. For Alex, there's a time and place where his clients can talk about certain things, but if Alex ran into them at Walmart, Oh yeah. It would be like, no, 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 we're not in the, cause like there's so many things I'm sure that go into a therapist's life of like, there's a mindset that you enter your office with of mm-hmm. all sorts of, I don't want to say defenses, but there are like things that you have in place so that you can remain the third party, more or less detached observer. Right. Um, which is a lot different than when you run into a client and they're like buying a new pack of socks and you're buying some milk and eggs at Walmart. It's like, oh, this is this is weird. <laughs> well, like it's in small towns, especially it is difficult because he sees children. Mm. And so I remember one time vividly a child ran up to Alex and like gave him a hug and like ran off. Mm. And so rather than me like pushing Alex, like, who was that kid? Who was that kid? I just assumed that must have been one of his clients. I'm going to let it go. You know, like yeah, they right. were excited to see him outside of the therapeutic setting, whatever. That's fine. And like, it's almost like when you see a teacher outside of the classroom and you're like, oh, my God, you have a life outside of the classroom. That's how it is with pastors. Oddly enough, um, it's like, wait, you like you have things outside of the church that you do. And like, can I can I you're talk not just about, preaching in there all the time? Can I just talk about like everyday life with you? That's the other thing I feel like it's not right. always. I need to avoid certain topics. It's sometimes, can I even talk about things outside, like not related to this topic? It's, oh, you're my pastor. I can only talk about church with you. No, I like sports. I like beer. I like food. I'm a trivia nerd. Like we can talk about other things too. I don't want it just to be limited to church or God. Because frankly, it's, there's nothing that hinders a relationship more than just saying, you know what? I'm keeping you in a box and this is all we can talk about. <laughs> I, it, and that's what's so cool about even the three of us of like, Emily, you and I have things to talk about when the mics are not on that are so far away from like the topics of Ravel. And like Josh, the right. last time you came over for drinks the day before Thanksgiving, like we didn't even get close to conversations like this. 
And that's awesome. No, we didn't. <laughs> and that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And in my opinion, that's what church is all about. Mm. Amen. Oh, mm. my God. And I say that half ironically, mostly not ironically. Yeah. It's true, though. I got the drunkest I've ever been in my life that night when you were over, Josh. <laughs> oh, I know. That was so funny. <laughs> we got to the point where we were, oh, this would be fun to go through on like a bonus episode or something. But we got to the point where like I gave everyone note cards and I was like, please write down what we're talking about because I know I'm not going to remember. I was so drunk, but I was like, I know I'm not going to remember so this, funny. but I want to remember oh, our conversation. And some of the things we wrote down, I was just like, what? Where did... Oh, my. <laughs> but also, isn't that the, the most Steven thing you've ever heard? It is. It very also, much is. take notes from Elise me. has a video on her phone of me. I get super cuddly when I'm drunk. So, like, <laughs> when they were leaving, I was, like, insisting that I get really good hugs from everyone. <laughs> oh, that's cute. And I have no memory of that. <laughs> Adorable. Yep. I become a big teddy bear when I'm drunk. <laughs> wow. I feel like we've been so many places all from this one prompt from Adam. This has been most that was a good prompt. Yeah, really? Thank very you, good Adam. One. I hope we did it justice. Hmm. Emily, do you have a... I feel like I always do this. I always do the like, do you have a code to switch off our podcast with? But like... I've, yeah, that's that's kind of the joke. That's kind of the thing. That's way too. The ritual um, is Josh sets up with a cheesy line for Emily to is, do yes. her pastoral oh. benediction. It just happens, man. It's the code switch. It um, just happens. Emily, do you have an equal, <laughs> if not greater, riddle joke sign off than I did with the Australian? Wow, that amazing really grace? pigeonholes the options, doesn't it? I have a joke. All I'm right. so ready. Hit us. What's what's big, green, fuzzy, has four legs, and would kill you if it fell out of a tree? Whoa. Big, green, fuzzy, four legs, kill you. Mm-hmm. If Fall it fell out of a tree. tree. Big, green, fuzzy. Big, green. Um, a green woolly mammoth? A pool table. That's funny. Huh. Huh. <laughs> I mean, not wrong. Not wrong. No, that was a that was a joke that a third grader told me at church camp one year, and I tell it frequently. This is the joy of the dad jokes. Yes, yes. Shout out to it an is. old episode. Conversation is key. I guess what I would say as a sending off is, uh, here at Ravel, this isn't a safe space. This is a brave space where we come together and we ravel out. We dive deep, we tinker around, and we see what unfolds before us. But no matter where the conversation takes us, we are holding hands and we embrace you and we love you no matter where you are in your journey. 